1: all right, guys. So another exciting episode for the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. Joining me today is Joshua Broom, who grew up in a small town in South Carolina where he started his modeling career. And after a short stint in college, moved to Los Angeles, California to become a full-time model and actor. Eventually found his way into the porn industry, performing in over a thousand pornographic films and winning several awards and was known as one of the top five male porn stars in the world. After more than five years in the porn industry, Joshua made the ultimate decision to leave it all behind. He's now a husband, father, and pastor, and travels and shares his story all over the world. So, firstly, welcome to the show, Joshua.
2: Thank you. And thank you so much for that uh, very encapsulating and (laughs) intro.
1: You're welcome. You know what? It's kind of funny. I was, um, I mentioned it to you when I reached out to you the first time. It was like I suddenly just opened TikTok one day and I was posting on there and just saw, Saw this post that you've made and I saw yeah. like all the different comments and I was like, I-, I need to know this story because the way that people were going back and forth and you was going back and forth. And so I looked into your story and it was just like wow, like yeah. incredible story, inspirational. So I suppose um can you take us right back from the beginning? Like you grew up um in a small town, like you said, and then had did you always have aspirations to move to Hollywood and become the model, the actor?
2: Um for, from early on, yes. Um, so I, I didn't know if it was going to be Hollywood or London or, or what, wherever I would land, because the lane that I was in, uh, I, was, I had more success doing runway than I had print. And then as I got older, I started having some, su- um, some success doing print. So for me, like wherever Fashion Week was thriving, that was kind of where you were. And just being in South Carolina, it just absolutely was not there. So yeah, I, I aspire to be um, to to plant myself logistically where I could be utilized more, you know, where I can make myself more accessible. Because more often than not, if, you know, I, I'm a you know a 6 two hazel-eyed brown haired guy, which, you know, there's, you know, millions and billions of me. <laughs> Someone looks like me, and I fit the bill. I fit the look, and they think you know I would look good in their in their fit. If I'm in South Carolina and you know the show is in Los Angeles, probably they're going to choose someone who is in closer proximity. So I just knew that yes, I want to do this um, with my life, and I knew that that would lead me to relocating somewhere. But it wasn't necessarily Hollywood. But as my pre- as my career progressed, I fell more in love with acting than I did modeling and modeling was something that kind of like when I grew up, like I was really good at baseball, but I loved basketball. And it's like, I could have had more success if I would have focused on baseball, but basketball had my heart. So that's where I spent my energy and kind of the same thing with modeling and you know acting. It's like modeling was easy for me. I had success. I didn't really have to put much effort into it acting very different you know requires like far more skill um not not that modeling doesn't require any skill but just you know i needed to be a lot better in that capacity to have that success so i mean that that was just kind of a dream that i had from 13 14 and i started really having success um success doing it starting around like 14 or 15.
1: well first and foremost choosing LA over London with the weather was a good choice because <laughs> I'm British and I'll tell you something, you wouldn't have enjoyed that weather. Um, and secondly, I was, I was just thinking you were saying that um, oh, I've just lost my train of thought, but it'll come back to me. But I suppose with everything that I researched and read about you, I suppose to me, I like to uncover everything. So the more people that I've got to know in the entertainment industry and everything else, that was the thing. I was once shooting um, a male model, very big, used to model with Miranda Kerr. And that was my first exposure as a photographer, working with somebody who was a professional model. And like you said there, it's still a skillful thing, like acting. But he did little movements and it blew me away. How a little movement in that. And I was like... I bloody can't act, I can't sing, I can't, I'll leave it to you guys. It is hard. But I suppose I like to uncover who the person is behind the persona or profession. So who is Joshua?
2: Right. Um, You know, I am a product of, you know, a single mother who um, worked relentlessly in spite of what happened to her. She didn't allow circumstance to dictate um, who she was and what she did. And what she did was, in spite of very difficult um, circumstances, um, having me when she was 16, um, you know, going through a very difficult marriage. She got married when she was seven, and that person um, was very abusive physically to her and um, was on heavy drugs. And I saw some things that, you know, my brother and I shouldn't have seen, like, as young children. But it, it never stopped the way that she interacted with people. Um, She was always a people person and two things that she really embarked on my life or imprinted on my life was um, just a, a, just a reckless love for people. Like if someone's standing in front of you, they deserve everything you got and work ethic. You know, it's like if you're going to do something like either do it with everything you got or don't do it at all. And I think for me, that serves me really well in some capacities and then bad in some others, because even like even in college, it's like, you know, I'm I'm staying at home and I'm not drinking or we're going out and I'm raging. You know, it's like there's there's no yeah. there's You're no good. like for me, like anything I'm going to do. I'm either going to do it with all of my heart for good or for bad or I, I don't I don't want any part of it. So that's who I am as a person. I just love people. Yeah. And I love what I get to do today because I had this very difficult life. And on the other side of it, I have a joy that I can't even articulate in words. I found a peace that I never thought that would be accessible to me. And my greatest passion is telling people who are in the middle of a really difficult time that there is a tomorrow worth living for. And regardless of what you're doing right now, even if it's, You know, if you are if you are trapped in a a thought process of, man, um, I can't move outside of what I'm doing now. I could never become, you know, those dreams. I can't chase them anymore. I'm just not the person. Or maybe you've been hurt and you think I could never be a husband. I could never be a wife. No one is going to want this scar. Or this, you know, this trauma that I carry with me. And I just want people to know that, you know, it's going to take work and it's going to take effort. and It's going to take you being vulnerable and trusting people. But there's a way out of it. There's a there's a light on the other side. And like, that's what I want people to know. I love that. And it's almost it's it's
1: like with my journey, as soon as you step into your truth and you own it and then you can expand and everyone you meet just you actually realize that you can get wisdom of each person that you meet, don't you? Oh, Oh, absolutely. And that's, I knew that you were put in front of me. Like we we talk about faith and how my journey has come on. And I was just like, it's just so funny because I'm all about sharing these stories. So I suppose going back to yourself, if you don't mind, just taking us back from that moment in Hollywood where you stepped into the industry that you're predominantly known for and how that affected your mental health over time.
2: Yeah. So for me, um, so my story is somewhat of an anomaly in contrast to the the hundreds of people that I have relationships with who are on the other side. You know, it's like either they're in the industry or they are or they're out of the industry. They ended up in the industry. This is not everyone's story, but a vast majority. Um, they ended up in that in that industry because they needed um some type, you know, it was a, it was a financial decision or they were coerced, you know, into that way, manipulated into, into doing it. They didn't have a, you know, a a real say in the matter. Um, Maybe they were already doing something like in that genre, like stripping, or uh, maybe they have, you know, prostituting or or something, they're doing something where it was an easy transition into that, or, you know, uh, maybe they have experienced, Uh, sexual abuse and they saw themselves as well this is this is my worth this is not a big deal why not make money doing it like that's a lot of people's story for me i i had been exposed to porn when i was 14 or 15 i I'd looked at it sporadically um i was very you know sexually active in high school and college but like i never like other than the not having a dad growing up like I had a relatively normal childhood. I never experienced like anything traumatic to me, but I I end up in Hollywood. I have an agent. I'm doing well. Um, I'm I'm booking enough jobs where I'm surviving. And like a lot of people who live in West Hollywood, um, it's either like you you live in the you know you you live really far away and you scrape and survive and you hope you get enough jobs or. You live in the mix of things and most people have to uh, get a job just to, you know, make make ends meet. So like many other people who you would, you know, if you go to a, uh, a, a coffee shop or a restaurant or a bar, more often than not, the person serving you, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are an actor or a model or a singer or they're in some kind of, you know, in, in that lane and they're working that job to, you know, appropriate their income. But you know, that's what I was doing. I started working at a uh, a bar that was on Sunset in, in West Hollywood, um, had a mechanical bar, had a mechanical bull in the middle of the thing, just like this crazy place. And I was making good money there and I had friends and I was actually dating a girl and everything was fine. And then in walked these four girls and all of them were very attractive and very, you know, dressed very provocatively. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to, you know, put on the charm and I'm going to make a big tip and whatever. And I start having a conversation with these girls and they're like, man, have you ever considered being an actor? And I was like, well, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, they're like, no, we're talking about porn. I was like, I never thought about doing that. Um, seen it. I've never thought about doing it. So you, you got, you guys knew that? They're like, yeah, that we, we're all, you know, porn stars. I was like, okay. You know, like, <laughs> I, because like, I didn't know what to say because for me, like, you know, I, I didn't even look at a ton of like, like from, for me, I grew up like pretty sheltered and I never had like problems, like having relationships. So it's like, I didn't look at a lot of porn and even the porn that I did look at, I'm like, I remember like thinking like Maxim was porn. Like that was like, that was pornography to me. (laughs) So it's like, I don't know, but, but I say that to say, I had no real like grasp of what they were doing. Like sex on camera, you know, but I'm like, I'm like, what is like, this was a fantasy that I saw like in front of me, like, like fantasy in that, like, this is not real. Like you are real people sitting here because, you know, when you objectify someone, you, you see them as a product. So you don't see them as a real person. You know, that, that's what happens when we consume porn. We, we detach ourselves from reality and we create this plausible reality that, you know, those people are not real and I'm just consuming something, you know, so that sex is just a transaction and that person is just a product. It's not real. Um, and, and we can get into like how that distorts, you know, the way that you see people, sex, relationships and whatnot. But that's what I you know that's what I was. I was like, OK, this is real. And I was like, OK, I, I never really thought about it. No. And they said, well, can we introduce you to our agent? And I was like, sure. Me, you know, because for me, like, you know, like meeting with an agent was like a big deal. And I, I knew like, you know. All I knew was like comp cards and auditions and, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're real and things like that. Like, I'm like, you want me to meet with your agent? Like, sure, sure. I'll meet with your agent. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I was going to go to this sketchy hotel in the middle of nowhere. And there's going to be this guy like picking, you know, lint out of his belly button. Like that, <laughs> like, <laughs> but instead I go into this business complex that's, a, that's adjacent to Universal Studios and I go in this private elevator and I walk down a hall and I open this door to this giant office and at this like magnificent desk sits this guy in a three-piece suit with a double Windsor tie and tells any and he points out every insecurity that I've ever had and says, Hey, um you you I you know I tell him who I am and and why I'm in Los Angeles. And he's like, man, you, if you're a good looking guy, there's not a lot of good looking guys in this industry. Um, you, you're passionate about acting. Man, porn is really moving to making big movies and acting is going to be a big you know, a big aspect of that. So if, if you're this good looking guy and you have acting experience, man, you, you can be a star. You can be famous. Like if you can do this, you could be as famous as you want. You know, you'll make as much money as you want. And just like, I was just overwhelmed with like me just sharing a few things in this guy, just, you know, what he reciprocated to me was he took what I said and he, you know, he formed his communication in, in a way that, man, everything he said, like, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want. And then a part of me was like, not like that. That's what I want, but not like that. And he's like, this is what we'll do. We'll do like a practice run. Well, I'll give you, I'll book you a scene. If it goes well, I'll sign you to a contract and we'll be on our way. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, but like, like truly having no intention to follow through with it. Like it sounded great, but I'm not going to do that. And I get a phone call later that day and he's like, hey, um, I'm scheduling a town car to pick you up to take you to get a test. So the way things work is everyone has, a, you know, everyone goes to the same place. They're standardized testing. Um, you're going to get a full panel STD and AIDS test. You're gonna, you'll do that every about two or three weeks. You know, your 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 test has to be in a, a certain day window to work. Um, and, and that is you know, facilitate, uh, facilitated and systematized, like through this, like big organization and make sure like, you know, everyone's test is, at, you know, accurate and up to date. And I was like, okay, like that, that's crazy. But to be honest, I was like, okay, I've, I've been pretty promiscuous up to this point. It probably wouldn't hurt for me to go get this test anyway. Mm-hmm. So I go and take the test and he's like, it should come back in less than 24 hours. So tomorrow, is when you'll do the scene and I was like okay sure and tomorrow comes and I was supposed to do the scene at like you know sometime between like 10 but 10 a.m and 12 and my test doesn't come back and I was like well you know like in retrospect I can I can clearly see God saying hey don't do that yeah don't do that and uh, I kept move I'm, I moved forward anyway you know I was like you know where where's the test at and like oh it'll, it'll, it'll be delayed and I called and I let him know. And then he called and then he's like, it'll be back, you know, later in the day. So we, it came back late enough where they had to push it another day. So I had another opportunity to say, no, don't do it. And he's like, Hey, you know, we'll send, it, we'll, we'll send a car, pick you up, take you to the, take you to the shoot um, call when you're done, you know, go ahead and shower up and then a car will come pick you up and take you home. And I was like, okay. you know," And and I, and I, and I went and I get there. And again, I'm thinking they're going to hand me a camcorder and I'm just going to go in a room and then give it back to them when I'm done. I, I walk into this gigantic studio and there's a camera one, camera two, uh, someone rolling BTS, you know, there's, there's a, there's a boom mic and there's, you know, there's, there's like legit lighting and, and, you know, all this stuff and there's like catering and I'm just like, what is this? <laughs> Like, what is this? Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, I'm I just like, this is so bizarre. And then, um, uh, you know, one of the, you know, production assistants come, come you know, walk over to me and they're like, hey, man, um, uh, I know this is your first time, so it's, it can be kind of nerve-wracking. Here's a Viagra. No pressure. Take it if you want it. If you don't want to take it, just trash it. I've already handed it to you. You've already touched it. So, um, But if you've never taken anything like this, I would suggest you biting it in half. And I was like, okay. And I'm just like, I don't need this. I was like, what if I do, what am I going to do? Should I do this? No, I should not do this. You know, it's like, I'm in the bathroom. Like, this is a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible idea. Don't do this. And I'm just sitting there. And they're like, we need you in five minutes. And I was like,
0: I was like, is it going to work
2: in five minutes? Should I take the pill and I just go to the pill. And then I like, and someone, I remember tell, someone telling me if you chew it up, it'll work faster. And I put the whole pill in my mouth and I bite into it, and it's disgusting. And I, and I chuck <laughs> a bottle of water. And I come out of the bathroom, and my eyes are red. I'm like, you know, what's going on? They're like, like just, you know, just go over there. Um, the director will, you know, kind of wave you in. Don't say anything and just, you know, just do it. I was like, and I, and I walked over, and there was, like stadium lighting around this single-sized bed with this girl on it and i'm standing there and she's looking at me and the director waves me in and um i took a step forward and i I don't remember anything you know about that after that it was just like it happened and then all of a sudden i was in the car and i was like i felt dirty i had like you know oil on on me and i just like couldn't like get it off i felt like because i I tried to take a shower, but not very, like it didn't have like body wash or something. I'm just like feeling disgusting. I had this check in my hand and it just happened like that quickly. And then on my way home, I get a call and it's like, you know, the, the agent was like, everything went great. You know, we're, I just want you to come by here and we're going to sign a contract um, if that's what you want to do. And I was just kind of like in this, what have I done? And I was like, I, I, was like, I, think, I, I think I want to think about it. So I go home and, um, I'm like, what have I done? And then I like kind of, I was kind of seeing someone at the time and I'm like, I did this really stupid thing, but like thinking like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking like, Hey, it's like, Hey, I I, I spilled a drink, you know, like, like so stupid, just like I did this thing. She was like, you did what, you know? I'm just like, obviously she like, she, she, you know, she ended things between us and she worked at the restaurant that I was working at and we had similar friend circles and like, you know, everyone hated me and I was an idiot and like a douchebag and this and that, you know, like, and I was just like, man, that was really dumb. And then um, he calls me back and he's like, can you come you know, back to the agent calls me back? and I go back to the office? And I signed the contract and Glenn, like, i tell you what, man, I, I feel like that happened like that, like, Okay, I made this decision. It had a negative impact on my life. And all of a sudden I was doing 15, 20, 25 movies a month, 30 movies a month. Like when like in there's this season like right before December, because no one shoots during December for the most part because everyone's prepping to, you know, there's this really big award show that happens the first week of January and like every company and every person is there. So everyone's trying to get all their content done, just kind of like any other business, just trying to wrap up business for the year. And so it's like, you know, you're shooting, like they're shooting like crazy in between like August and November. So it just like, it was a blur. And then in the process of that, um, like the companies that I was working for, like, I never worked for like like the experience that I had, um, as far as like at that type of production, that was pretty much every scene that I did. I never worked with like, you know, I was never like running and gunning, like in a car, like, you know, in, in on a back road in Miami, which absolutely happens a ton, but that was my experience. So it was just like, I was in the middle of that and I was like, I, I, I wanted to believe that like I was this like, rich and famous guy all of a sudden, because I was making a ton of money. And I just, I, I just like, every time someone would ask me about it, I would feel really ashamed, but I would put on this mask. That's like, well, this is, this is what you've done. So you might as well own it. And that was all fun and games until my mom found out about it because someone, you know, I live in a really small town and I say that about the productions that I was doing because they were on the internet, you know, within, moments and they were not only they weren't on some random site they were on this you know mega site that everyone you know that was really popular at the time and so someone told my uncle and my uncle told my mom and then all of a sudden I'm having this conversation with my mom and I'm humiliated you know this my mom was 16 when she had me and she worked at a restaurant working you know 50 60 hours a week so that I could have new basketball shoes when I wanted them or go to basketball camp and and have an allowance when I didn't realize that my mom was like, you know, two months behind on all of her bills while I was living, you know, living this life, just doing whatever I wanted, thinking that, you know, um, I'm, I'm not, you know, my family's not broke. We're, we're fine. We have all this. Um, And just not realizing like how many sacrifices my mom was making, how much she was struggling just to give me a life that resembled the life that everyone else had. And I was humiliated. And, and in that moment, that was the first time that I really felt ashamed. And that was that began the process of me saying, OK, um, can I quit doing this? I mean, what else am I going to do? I'm already having this much success. And that like that happened and snap your fingers. And it had been five years and I'd done a thousand movies and I had won you know, tons of awards. I traveled the world. I, I, you know, I, I did a lot of movies like with the, like the, the late night stuff, you know, skinamax type stuff. So, I mean, I traveled like all over the world, like doing movies for HBO and Showtime. You know, I was in Paris, Costa Rica, you know, Bucharest, you know, Romania, it's like all, like all over the place. And after, after probably four years, I was just like, man, I hate this. And like I was trying to date girls in the industry and I was just like this. This is probably what really impacted my like mental, emotional health is that I was trying to date girls in the industry and you try to navigate through this conundrum. We are in a monogamous relationship, yet both of us have sex with other people professionally. And not only that, as a guy in the industry, so a a director takes on all the costs, a director takes on all the costs. So he's paying for, you know, the male and female talent, the location fee, the the permits, the, you know, the, the sound, the, you know, the crew catering, you know, whatever The, the director is taking on all the risk and the male is the only person that's not guaranteed a paycheck because if the guy doesn't do his job, there's no product. So there's this tremendous amount of pressure on the guys. But I say that to say that there's a very, you know, a 20 to 25. When I was in the industry, there were 20 to 25 guys who worked consistently. The, the directors would always hire the same people because, hey, you'll get the job done. I can trust that you'll do it. I'm going to hire you every time. And that's why it's so difficult for guys like then, at least it was very difficult for guys to get in the industry. But I paint that picture to paint this picture. So if you know, like you've been on set with all these guys, you know them. So I know these guys very well, these 20, 25 guys. So if you're dating someone who is popular within the industry, she's working with all those guys that aren't like a random person that you're going to, that you know that that this is happening. This is someone that you know personally. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're even your friend. You know, it's like, while it's a, you know, a, a, a job, you know, a situational relationship that you still know aspects of their life, probably hung out with them, had a beer with them or, or something, you know, and now you're faced with, you know, these people, you see these people on a consistent basis and you know that they're working with, working with your, your, you know, significant other. So like trying to navigate through that was so confusing for me, uh, you know, that grew up with a single mom, like, I remember like throwing cans of food at guys, like trying to uh, hit on my mom, you know, it's like, get away from her, you know, get away from my mom. Cause my mom, you know, is gorgeous. And she was super young, you know? Um, so I, I, I just had this like jealous spirit about me. So like navigating through that was hard. And then the, the relationship that I was in, she was actually into it. She wanted to tell me about it and I surrendered how I truly felt and painted another lie. It's like, sure, you know, tell me about it, whatever. And, man, that was the most masochistic thing that I could have ever done. And that relationship was so seedy and dark. And it really led to, like, me, like, asking, you know, I don't really want to continue living. Because there's no way out of this. Because I've, I've gone so far. Like, no normal person, like, is going to want to be in a relationship with me. Um, I don't have a resume There's There's no way I'm going to work in, you know, mainstream modeling or acting because of my past. Like, I've, I've just blackballed myself from that. Um, no job, no, no job is going to take me you know, seriously as a leader. Like, how can I contribute in any capacity? And that lets me even rejecting my family, just not like being mean to them or anything, but I just completely isolated myself from anyone. So that relationship ends. um, I'm in a very dark place. I'm still working like crazy. And then I win. So I've been nominated for Performer of the Year three times. I finally win. Um, They call my name at the award show. Call it again. Call it again. I'm not there. My PR person calls me. Um, I'm at home. I don't answer the phone, but I'm at home crying my eyes out on my floor. Because I'm asking the God that I knew vaguely, I knew about, I don't have the guts to take my life, but I don't want to live. And that's where I was. And then that led to me, it's like, how do I get out of this? I can't stop doing this. And I had several like companies who produced gay porn reaching out to me. It's like, hey, um, it, if, you're, if you're ever interested, name, name your price and it's yours. I was just like, man, um, at this point, like sex had become so monotonous that looking at someone in the eye and shaking their hands far more personal than sex, because sex was just, it was my occupation. It was what I did after doing a thousand over a five years span. It was, it was whatever I could care less. It didn't matter who it was. Like it was completely irrelevant. So it's like, Hey, you know, you can make in a year, With working three times a month over a six-month period, what you you know we will pay you you know pretty much what you make in a year over a six-month period, and you only have to work you only have to do three movies you know three scenes a month in contrast to thirty. I was like, who cares? You know, I was like, but for me that decision it was like, gosh, if I know if I do that, like it's very it's very taboo. So you can't go back and forth in that industry. So I was like, man, like maybe that'll, I'll just burn my bridge there. And I can't go back to that. And I'll just do this and then I'll, I'll figure something out. And I didn't think it'd be a big deal. And man, was I wrong, man, was I wrong? And I, I couldn't do it. So to do it, I had to inject myself with this chemical called Caverject. So I would stick a needle with, you know, the stuff in me and it's, it's for paralysis patients. So they can be intimate Um, so it's like, you, you, you know, you're working whether, you know, whether you are reading a newspaper or whatever, like it doesn't matter. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm using that and I'm using so much of it that sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And now I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm really ready. I'm, I'm really ready to like, I just want to die and after, after I did, I did, I would try to do the movies like as close together as possible. Just so it's like almost a thing where it's like, man, uh, just rip off the band aid all at once, you know, and I would try to like mentally recuperate from it. And I, I did a few movies and I was in the middle of that contract and I walk into a bank and I have this check in my hand. And normally I would just try to slip it in the like ATM or Uh, Dropbox or something because I didn't want to have any engagement with the person I'm depositing this check with because the memo on the check, it said what it's for. And it had, you know, the company and a lot of times it had the movie and not very often the movie doesn't paint a very vivid picture of what was happening. So I humiliated, have to go cash this check, deposit this check, I put the check on there. I put the check on there. I, I couldn't remember my account number. Asked me to slide my card. She puts the account number on there, deposits the check, hands me a receipt. I pivot to walk away. And she looks at me and says, Joshua, is, is there anything I can do for you? Joshua, can I help you? And in that moment, I realized I had not heard my name in probably over a year. And hearing my name just Shattered this reality that I had created, that I was just numb to everything. And all of a sudden I felt everything. I felt the weight of rejecting my mom, hurting my mom, humiliating my, my family, hurting them, and just felt the weight of what I'd been doing for five years. And it was just, it was unbearable. And I was like, either I'm going to die or I'm going to run and I pick up the phone and I call my agent and I say, I, I quit. I'm out of here. I quit. Um, he's like, well, you know, you're going to you're breaking a contract. There's going to be like financial like restitution you're going to have to provide. I was like, I don't care. I don't care. And I called my PR person. I'm like put out a press release. You know, I quit and I, that happens. And it takes me some time, but I, I get someone to take over my, my lease where I was living and I run home. And my only saving grace financially was that I had some money, but I had long ago had experience as a personal trainer and just knowledge from strength conditioning. And I started, you know, my journey like within CrossFit. So like that was just some, like the little bit of stuff I had that wasn't really much, but that was all I had. So I applied to every gym in a 200 mile vicinity from where my mom lived. And someone offered me a job and that's how I get out of the industry.
1: Wow. That story, like when I heard that, I was going to say, please tell everyone about the bank teller. Cause that, like I had shivers when I heard that, cause that just seemed to come at the right moment. Like you said, along your journey, like got interjected at the beginning, but you didn't see it and you kept going through with it and all the rest. But wow. Yep. Wow. And I suppose, so I asked um, a couple of, of people I got to know through this uh, this campaign this. So within the porn entertainment industry, when everyone knows this public persona and you're going to these events and, and in Australia, they call them like sex pose and things like this. And it's almost like these young guys, like high-fiving these porn stars thinking, Hey, Hey, what is that kind of like mentally as well? Because there's clearly a disconnection because they're not knowing you as Joshua. They're knowing you as this, well, yeah. what the industry created you to be this this alias, I suppose.
2: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It was it was it was bizarre. Like I remember, um, I lived in uh, I lived in Sherman Oaks, and I lived beside this like Galleria, and with in um, the Cheesecake Factory there, it was just kind of like the hot spot to go if you didn't want to have reservations somewhere. You know, you could you could generally get a table there and. So a lot of a lot of guys in that industry would go there, and I remember. I mean, I I don't remember a time in the in the span that I lived in that area where I didn't go in there. At minimum, someone would ask to take a picture with me, and it was just so like in retrospect, like it it happened so often, it just became normal. But in retrospect, like thinking about what that means you know it's like i watch your i watch you and probably masturbate to your your porn yeah. can i take a picture with you because i think you're so cool yeah it's like gosh, how depraved are we like as a community like but i mean yeah i mean like i think if you believe a lie to be true long enough, you'll live as such. And like that for me, it was like, I'm a prostitute. It's just what I am. You know, I sell myself for sex and it doesn't really matter. I mean, that's why like a lot of people have a really difficult time, like processing the fact that I've never had any attraction to men or the desire to have sex with a man. Yet there I am like doing that on camera. It's like, I didn't care. It's like I had I I had no self-worth whatsoever. And like not to demean anyone that has same sex attraction, because that's real. That's a real thing that people struggle with. But that just wasn't my story. I saw myself as a product to be sold. And what I sold was me being a sexual object. I in 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 that genre, I had a higher value. So for me, like that was the decision I made. And it had, it was completely irrelevant to my sexual preference because that it was like sex to me, like pleasure had gone out the window. Like that was not something that, not even something I really thought about. And I just getting to that point, it was just like, you become this person. um, That's not really much of a person, like just, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a, I'm a very charismatic, like goofy guy, but you know, to, to break a moment of like seriousness, but like the way I saw myself, it was like Tropic Thunder. Like I was a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. Like that's who I was. Mm -hmm. Like I put on this mask and I lived like I was this person. And I, and I didn't have, I really didn't have any emotion. I was just like, this is my life. You know, I would go to parties because I was paid to be there. I was never on drugs or anything like that to like to medicate, you know, or or or, or to party in that way. Like, yeah, like I would go out and drink and you know that and, and stuff like that. But for me, it's like I I just wanted to be my be myself. I wanted to be by myself. I was a, I was a recluse because it was so much energy putting on this facade that I just wanted to like decompress and just retreat from everything and everyone because i was like so exhausted from pretending to try to be this thing and i think that's why it's just it's just like at these expos like you people are like man that's awesome you're awesome to have your autograph and you're like sure but like you like what i was saying like you create this this plausible reality based on how you see yourself how you see people and how you see life and you just accept that is your existence and that's how you're gonna live it and you will say, yeah, I love what I do. At the end of the day, when you put your head on the pillow, when you close your eyes, your conscious is not clear. And it doesn't matter how much money is in your bank.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think people don't, so I, prior to COVID, go to LA each year, and I think people don't understand how easy, like you mentioned, those four women walked into a bar. So a good friend of mine, Jay Davis over there, he's like a big promoter, comedian for the Laugh Factory and everything. So he was doing a short skit, this film, and invited me along to do some some stills. And this girl came. She was a girlfriend of, of one of the guys on production. And that was the first time I was around that sort of scene. And she, and she actually said, she was like, oh, does somebody want to make a quick $15,000? And then someone said, oh, do you mean in porn? Because we was like kind of in the area where they make porn. And I was like, you can just make that much money that quick. Yeah. She was like, yeah, da. So I can see how easy that can kind of happen. But I think people don't realise that. And then I I got into the logistics with her. Not that I was going to go and do it, but I said, so obviously when you've, you've done the work, your work is going to be everywhere. Do you get residuals like an actor or is it a one-time thing? So your work's always out there for everyone to see forever? Or um, she said you get paid once. So I suppose, right. you, like, is that something that you can't hide your past and you should own it anyway. I always believe like you've done it, you step into your truth and you own it, but you couldn't get rid of any of that work anyway. Could you, if that's the way it works?
2: No. So yeah, so exactly. So it's this idea of like, so I spoke at a, um, at a summit on Monday and it was, you know, a global summit to, eradicate sexual exploitation and something that was talked about was like does consent in the porn industry truly exist because like sure i signed a piece of paper that said i was going to do this scene and you were going to pay me x amount of dollars yes but what i didn't say yes to is 10 years later after I'm out of the industry, you can t- So what happens is, so you, a company has this product and because of the way the internet works, like, you know, the reality is no one goes in, well, some people still do, but like more often than not, porn is not being purchased at your triple X store off an exit. Like no one's going into a store and buying it because of the internet and because of the internet and because of, of tube sites, and everything is, you know, so easily accessible. There has to be a way to, you know, chop it up and maximize what you have. So what happens is you will, you'll sign a contract, you'll do the scene. Now they have the audio, the, the photos and the video, and they will use the video for something and then repurpose it and use it for something else. And then they'll sell, you know, some of some of the photos to, you know, a, a, another person. And then they'll maybe they'll use those to like advertise for you know, something at a sex shop face being on there. And then all of a sudden there's um, a profile of you know, a, a po- uh, an advertisement on uh, an online dating site with your photo on it. And I, I, I didn't you know, say yes to that. And to this point, like that's still true. I can't get verified. And, and that's a problem for me. Because right now across all social media platforms, there's 200 fake profiles of me because my, because my likeness, there's nothing, there's nothing guarding my likeness Mm. in that capacity. So that's why, like, as soon as I got out of the industry, I used to say, ironically, I had a Celtic cross on my shoulder. The day that I got out of the industry, I got it covered up. I got a koi fish on my arm. You know, I, I was like, because you won't find any you won't find me doing anything i'm not proud of with that on my shoulder you know so yeah i mean so yes that's true it's like you get paid that one time and then that that product is going to be chopped up and repurposed and sold to so many people so yes i've done a thousand movies but that those thousand movies are probably chopped into you know 10,000 you know portions of product that are owned by thousands of different people. So how would I even track them down? What could I possibly do? Like, like I get that question a lot. So A, do you, do you get royalties? I've never received one cent other than what I've been paid for, you know, that day. I've never received one cent for anything like that. Um, So to, to my knowledge and in my experience in the industry, royalties just absolutely don't exist. And no, like, I mean, if a if billion dollars fell in my lap, could I eradicate myself from the internet? Sure. Um, but I don't know what it would take, but it would be a lot. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah,
1: it's one. Well, but you know what? I, this is what I always say. This is why I love this campaign and when I started it. And it's just having these hard conversations and removing that judgment because everybody that's been on, including yourself, you're just, you're owning that truth. And you go, you know what, that was my past. And I suppose last two questions really, really quick is one that I ask everybody first is out of everything you've been through, Joshua, um, what does being imperfectly perfect mean to you?
2: Yeah, I think so. People ask me a lot, like, man, um, do you regret being in the industry? Like, would you do it? Like, would you do it again? If you could go back, And it's really hard. It's really hard for me to answer that and say, no, I wouldn't do it again because of the life that I have today, because today I am a father of three beautiful boys. I have a wife who loves me so much, and we've been married for five years um, last week, and I have a story That lets people know, hey, if you believe that having all this sex is going to make you happy, it didn't make me happy. Um, Fame, no, didn't work. Money, I made over a million dollars the time I was in the industry. Didn't, Didn't work. I actually achieved everything that I believed would make me happy. And at the end of it, I was left broken and depressed. And I realized that, man, if this won't bring me happiness and peace, what will? And I get to point someone to the one thing that does provide peace in the person of Jesus Christ. Wow. See,
1: you've kind of answered my last question there, because it was going to be what What advice would you give to anybody? And you encapsulated it all there. So I suppose I'll make my last question. Faith presumably found you again so the way that he's used you and turned everything around like like you say you you give him praise for everything that is done in your life i suppose yeah. i'll i'll finish it off and say obviously faith found you again there what advice for anybody or any of our listeners that may be either going through addiction of any sort of going through mental health struggles what would you say to them
2: yeah i mean i think The the most powerful message that I ever heard is you are only free as you are honest. And I think when you are struggling with something, you feel alone and you believe that either A, no one wants to hear about that thing you're going through and B, the lie that, well, I'll I'll, I'll sort it out. You know, I'll, I'll fix it tomorrow. I'll fix it next week. And you live in this, like where I was, I, you get stuck in this, I did this, so this is who I am, so that's going to dictate what I do next. But here's the beautiful truth. At any point in your life, you can choose to move in a different direction. And what it's going to take, it's going to take you being vulnerable and honest with people. It's going to be you removing some stuff from your life you have to take inventory you know health healthy things grow and growing things change so if you want to be healthy there's going to have to be some things that you remove from your life and that might look like change and that's okay it's hard though as well
1: Um, (laughs) it's 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 one of the best things i've ever done like you get broken like I'll, i'll tell you something really quickly like he's throughout this whole campaign like to help people the best way. I couldn't understand some things I was going through. I was brought to my knees at once. And then more people with faith came to me and said, can you not see what he's doing is actually enabling you to see what it's like for other people. And then on the flip side, more recently I was seeing what it was like for people in the entertainment industry and people with money, because I didn't know who was real. I didn't know whether they wanted to know Glenn as Glenn or what they could get from Glenn and who he could attach them to. And I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> even me i'm going god this is getting really hard now but yeah kept pressing in got a good supportive network um i suppose we'll finish off with saying where like these days you're on world stages speaking and sh- uh, sharing your story where can people find out more information about you josh
2: yeah um in- instagram's kind of like one-stop shop so i <laughs> i have my email and uh, my my i think i have my link tree there but my email is Joshua at knownchurch.com. You you omit the O in known, but um, Joshua at knownchurch.com. Uh, my Instagram is I am Joshua Broom, um, an E on the end of broom, yes. I just like your household, you know, uh, sweeper. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I am Joshua Broom on Instagram and TikTok. Um, TikTok's a really neat thing, um, and and I would say. Uh, like it is a place full of uh, really immature, hurt, hateful people. But man, all of those people need Jesus. And um, I'm more than glad to get a few thousand uh, disrespectful, angry comments because uh, someone asked me a really, just I'll, I'll close with this. So someone asked me a really interesting question. How many, like percentage wise, how much um, of the comments are hateful? In contrast to, you know, praising me for what I've done or uh, giving me encouragement. And I was like probably 50-50. But when you take off, you know, when, when you take off the persona, when people message me, me- people don't message me hateful things. Mm-hmm. They're asking, I, I want the freedom that you have. Yeah. How do I get that? That's what people message me. Hundreds of people message me that a day. So I am more than willing to endure, you know, the, 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 the 15 year old saying the condescending thing yeah. to someone message me saying, Hey, I'm broken and I need help. Where do I go?
1: I think, yeah, you, you know what? I, I totally resonate with that because it's when I'm disrupting corporate silence and I'm doing it on LinkedIn, I'm putting all this on LinkedIn and places like this and people get so consumed in this comparison and likes and engagement. And I'm like, you should see literally some of these mental health stuff. I put no engagement on LinkedIn. However, my message bank, because people won't address these, but then again, I'm going, we're all on a different part of our journey. So it's up to people like yourself and me that can actually get these conversations started. So I just want to say, Josh, I truly appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on and share your story with everybody. Um, I'm going to put all the links up, guys, to everywhere where you can find more work and information about Joshua. But until next time, guys, keep having these hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that save lives.
0: To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.